0: All right, so we're uh, continuing on with this series we've been doing, and this is, the, this is kind of the, the, the verse that launched this series. It's, it's in Galatians 5, and it talks about the fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has fruits and has gifts. Uh, one nice thing about it, it seems like the gifts for some reason are controversial, but no, one's, no one has any controversy over the gifts. We all agree. There aren't many things that all of Christendom agrees upon, but we all agree these are the fruits of the Spirit. You could also look at these as characteristics of God. Because what Paul's basically saying is if you have God in your life, you're going to see God's coming out in your life. And so that's the fruit that we're talking about. So these are like characteristics. And we're going to take on the first one, which is probably the, the, the big number that's one sermon, sermon. on love. Because love is probably the single greatest attribute of God. And, and if you ask people, what is love? And it's you know, like, you know, that's a you know, someone will probably start singing a song or something. To do that. There's a lot of things written about love. You, you even use the expression we fall into love, you know, because that's like an accident, right? You don't fall on purpose. I fell into love. You know, if you if you fall into a hole, you didn't mean to do it. Oh, this just happened. I fell into love, and and so that's what it is. I just fell in. Now I'm stuck. I can't get out or whatever. That's kind of how we treat love. Is it's just an accident? And there's a lot written. I'm not going to bother reading you some of the. Um, thoughts of the day from the songwriters today. It's always amusing to hear what they have to say about love. I'm gonna give it to you from a couple of psychologists. This is two women actually have a a website called the Anatomy of Love. They've studied this, they've done TED Talks on it. They're two um, middle-aged women. Uh, They say love is involuntary. Brain science tells us it's a drive like thirst. It's a craving for a specific person. It's normal and natural to, quote, lose control in the early stage of a romance. It is a natural addiction. And treating it like an addiction can help you because we were built to fall in love. And another psychologist puts it this way, love is a force of nature. However much we may want to, we cannot command, demand, or take away love any more than we can command the moon and the stars or the wind and the rain. So it's this force, right? It's this thing that just grabs you and you can't help it. You can't choose it. You can't help it. The heart wants what the heart wants and it'll go and it'll pick somebody to fall in love with and you'll just do it. It's this force of nature. Here's the problem with all this thought and all this time that's been spent on love and trying to study love and, and do something about love. Here's the problem. Jesus says this. This is my command that you love one another. So I ask you, how can Jesus command us to have an emotion that we have no control over? Is anybody else troubled by that? Because <laughs> that was always my trouble. Wait a minute. You call, you're commanding me to love somebody, but I can't control love. Love just happens. It's his powerful force. It may be an addiction once it happens, but there's nothing I can do about it. I can't control this at all. And Jesus, like, he talks about this all the time, and he talks about it in this language. In Matthew 5, he says this, You maybe have heard said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I said you love your enemies. Boy, he amped it up there, didn't he? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. That's an interesting sentence we kind of blip over. You want to be children of God? here's how you do it. You love your enemies. And he goes on and says, look, he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Basically, he's saying the earth looks the same, right? But those who love you, if you love them, what good? Are, how are you different? Right? So he says the, the rain falls, the sun comes on the righteous and the unrighteous. We have this like sameness in the world. And Jesus is saying, but you're not supposed to be the same. If you only love the people who love you, you are no different than anybody else. Everybody does that. There's not a single person on earth, if somebody loves them, won't love them in return. Or at least like them, right? Because they're benefiting from it. It says, look, even the heathen do that. There's nothing special about that. But you are to be children of God, and you are to be different. You are supposed to be special, and the reason why this is so important to him, and what Jesus talks about this second most thing, we talked last week about the first most thing he talks about. We're talking about the second most thing Jesus talks about here is because love is the single most defining attribute of God. A God that didn't love you would be a very scary thing. You know, if you, if you ever ask the question, I don't know if you've ever done this, I do these weird things. Why is God God? What makes God God? Usually you get answers like he's bigger than I am. And he's more powerful. And, you know, he knows everything about me. He knows everything. That's a scary combination if they don't love you. Love better be in there somewhere, right? You take, take a picture of who knows everything about you, bigger than you, more powerful than you, and they don't like you. <laughs> that's, a, that's a scary place to be, right? And so love has to be one of the single, most defining attributes of God. It's, it's his nature. It's the, it's the basis of all of his nature, right? And the good news is, and for those of you who are like, well, how in the world can he command me? Is love, the way God's defining it, it's not an emotion. I'll tell you something else. This may help you. Love is not easy. It's not supposed to be. Jesus never says, this is easy. Go do this. He says, I'm commanding you to do it. It's not. But here's what love is. It is a decision to live like a child of God. It's a choice. It's a decision. You make the decision, I will do this because I... I want to be a child of God. I want to be different. I don't want to be the same like everybody else. I want to be different. In John, Jesus says this, look, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. This is interesting, by the way. I just found this out because, you know, you do these researches when you preach on this stuff. Did you know that every year a vine grower cuts off the shoots from last year? Because after a whole year of growth, it won't produce any more fruit or very bad fruit. So every year they go to the, the vine and, you know, where they kind of branch off and they'll cut off a piece because they want a new shoot because that grows and bears fruit. The other one doesn't. And so every year you do it. If you don't prune your vines, your grapes will die. Have you ever seen anybody with the grapes they've had there for generations and maybe they moved in and you see them slowly dying? It's because they're not pruning. So he says God every, and prune by the way, you know what that is. That's cut away old dead stuff. So if you feel like, man, God will never let me alone. No, he won't. He's always going to try to cut away the old stuff in your life because he always wants you generating fruit. So he says, I'm the vine. My Father's coming. You're the branches. He's going to make sure you bear fruit. He's going to keep working on that. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. So he has this big stock and he keeps those shoots. He keeps pruning them. That's because he's trying to make it better. So if you feel God's working on you, he is. He's constantly working on you, trying to make you better. I'm good enough. No, you're not. You've got to keep bearing fruit. And here's why. Because if it doesn't, it'll be thrown in a fire. That's why. So we've got to keep bearing fruit. He says he prunes it to make bear, bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I've spoken to you. You've already been cleansed by the word. You're saved. You're here. You've been cleansed. We're starting with you. But you need to abide, which means to stay in me. It's not enough to know me, you have to stay in me. And then you will continue to bear fruit. If the branches, those will will be thrown into the fire. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We want this promise without the other thing. If you want to know where Christianity is losing its power today, it's because we want that. I want to be able to pray for whatever I need to pray for and have God give it to me. I want that. Jesus well, that comes after this. You abide in me. You stay in me. You stay in my word. And my word's telling you, love your enemies. Well, I don't want to do that, but I'm going to pray for somebody to get healed right now, and I'd like to see that in my life. God says, This is not how it works. You will do this with me. Together we'll do this, but you just stay within me. If you ask for whatever, it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this. He wants to see you bear a lot of fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So abide with me in love. Now, there is a word that Paul uses a lot in the New Testament. And so far as I know, it doesn't show up anywhere but the Bible. It's a word agape. Some of you may have heard this. It's actually used in two different ways in the Bible. One is every week when the disciples and all the believers got together and they would have church, they would have a feast afterwards and it was called the agape feast. Sometimes called agape meal, or, you know, you'll hear some kind of a love feast or whatever. That's, that was, they use agape there. And then Paul uses it to describe the kind of love Jesus is talking about. See, what we describe of love is actually a symptom of love. We, we, we see a symptom, but it's not really love. We, we feel in love. That's not really love. That's a symptom. And you know that's true because you've been in love with some stupid people in your lives. Amen? Some of you are my age. It's like, whoa, I can't believe you know, you know maybe puppy love, sometimes you hear that phrase, you're young, you know, in love with somebody. We, we know that, but you have all those feelings like it's true love, it's just not. It's a symptom. What Jesus is saying, okay, symptoms are great, but I need you to understand that love's a choice. You choose to love, and you're choosing because you want to be children of God. He says this in, in John 15, if you keep my commandments, you will remain and not depart from my love. We talked about this last week you keep my commandments, that's how you stay in my love. Very simple, but it isn't. Simple's not easy, right? We've said that before. Easy's not simple. Simple's not easy. This is simple, not easy. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, I have said things to you so that my joy may be in you and that that your joy may be complete. Ever feel like you're struggling in a Christian life and it's just not clicking? I just don't seem like, I don't think I have. I just, he says, here's, here's what's missing. I, I'm trying to get this in you so that your joy will be complete. I want your life complete. I, I want you to have the complete life I came to give you. I came to give you life and life abundantly. I want it to be complete in your life. And here's the secret. Obey my commands. And here's my command to you, love one another. It's a commandment. It's really pretty simple. This is my commandment that you love another as I have loved you. And, okay, well, what does that look like? And then he gives us this. Well, there's no greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And I always read this and said, whew, I'm off the hook. Because <laughs> this is Jesus now, is basically just talking about himself before he did it. Right? He's saying, well, I'm, I, I can prove to you that I, I, I love you because I'm gonna lay down my life for you. And I'm like, "Whew! well, unless Jesus calls me to be a sacrifice, which if he does, I guess I have to do it. I'm off the hook for everything else. But I don't believe that's at all what Jesus is saying here. He's also not saying go around you know, throwing yourself in front of cars to save people and kill yourself. Or any, I, that's not what it is because he actually uses this terminology another place in the Bible. And I think they're really connected here. And I think this is kind of the important thing. Uh, this, sh- this shows up over in Luke. He says to him, he says, look, if any of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. So what Jesus is saying there is kind of a picture. Again, this is before he died, so they didn't know the crucifixion was coming. He's saying, look, crucifixion, which kills your flesh, needs to be done daily, and you need to choose to follow me. And I believe that's exactly the same thing he's saying here, just in the other way. He's saying, lay down your life, which we're laying down is our flesh. We're laying down what we want. He says, "This, this is how you know that you love somebody. You're willing to sacrifice what you want for them. And this is what he's saying here. He says, if you want to follow me every day, you will crucify your flesh, what you want, and you'll follow me. So here's a definition for you that I don't know if you've ever heard, and I don't really even know where this came from. I heard this when I was in church camp at about age 13. Wrote it down in my little notebook. I've never forgotten this. And as I've grown older, I've come back to it again and again and again because I think this is the best definition of love I've ever heard. Love is doing something that you don't want to do because you want to do it. That's love. It's a choice. You make the decision. I would rather do this, but I'm going to do that because I love you. And I know this is what you need. This is what you want. And in a perfect relationship, the other person is also spending time loving you back, right? And that's when it's really great. That's when, it, you know, you hopefully that's what you have in marriage where the person says, yeah, okay, you did that for me yesterday, but I'm going to do this for you today, you know? And so you have this kind, of, this kind of reciprocal love. That's great. But Jesus says, even if you don't have that, you do the first part. You do your part. You do you. And, and, and you let them worry about them. So you keep doing you. And it gets hard because after you do it a few times, you start getting tired of it, right? But we have to know that this is what God's calling us to do to the people in our lives, to the people we work with, certainly to our family. So he says, okay, you do the right thing. And you said, I'm going to put aside what I want. And I'm going to really try to look at what this person wants because that's what God's calling me to do. If you can get to the point where you're living like that, you're going to start seeing changes in your life. Because what you've done is you've brought God's love into your life. And there's nothing more powerful on earth or in heaven than God's love. And you've brought it into your life. The more you bring God's love into your life, the more you'll see changes in your life. And it will impact, I promise you, those around you. They're driving you nuts. They're hard to love. But it won't happen overnight. And that's not your responsibility. God's love changes people and changes situations. But that's not why we do God's love. We do because he commanded us to. Jesus is our Lord and Savior, not just our Savior. The Lord says, this is what you'll do. So this is what we do. Promise you this is a formula for a great marriage and great family, but that's not why you're doing it. You're doing it to honor your father. That's why you're doing it. So um, if you don't want that, I'm going to give you some tips right now on how to keep it from happening in your life. <laughs> and I'm only showing this to you because some of you are like, well, I try that. I'd want to that. But for some reason, that love just won't grow. You know, I just don't have a green thumb for growing God's love. It seems to always die on the vine for me. Well, uh, maybe you have some of these other things. Because if you have these things, this will keep God's love from your life. And it might not be the list you're expecting. And I'll show you where I get this list. It's actually from the Bible. Uh, here's, here's what you do. Uh, first of all, uh, have a short fuse. Because people will not mess with you if they know there's a price to pay. <laughs> just do that. that that'll, that'll help keep God's love from you. Sarcasm's your friend. Yeah, always just be as sarcastic as you can be. That'll keep God's love out of your life. Because, you know, people find you funny when you're sarcastic. By the way, a very small percentage of people in your life find you really funny when you're sarcastic. Most of the people aren't in your life because you're too sarcastic. Okay. Um, make sure no one else ever gets ahead of you, especially those that don't deserve it. And we have to work on that, don't we? Make sure that person doesn't, because they don't deserve it. I deserve it, or my friend deserves it. I'm going to make sure they never, ever get ahead. Oh, here's one. Be cocky. You don't want God's in your life? Be cocky. Cocky, because everyone likes someone with confidence. You know, so I'm just going to, it's just, not, I'm not cocky. It's just confidence. You know, that's all it is. Um, make sure everyone knows what a great job you're doing. At all times, make sure everybody knows what a great job you're doing. And you'll be keeping God's love from your life. Just, this is a good one. Yeah, self-advertising will work for you. You'll just get ahead. Ooh, And by the way, that does work on earth. But we're not talking about earth here. We're talking about heaven. So it won't work, won't work there. And it'll, it'll help, if you're wondering why your love keeps dying on the vine, these are reasons. Uh, remember also that no one can ever look out for you better than you can. You've got to watch out for number one. Uh, be snarky. Uh, make fun of those around you, especially those in power. You find yourself doing this, you're like saying snip that love kill it in the fruit. We don't want to see the bud. We don't want to see a flower. Uh, so this is a good one. If someone else is looking for a fight, man, you give it to them. Man, they were, they, were, they were spoiling for a fight. You come around here, spoiling for a fight, I will give it to you. This will kill God's love faster than you can imagine. And finally, always, always, always remember your enemies. Don't ever forget them. Actually, I'm not fine. I got a couple more here. Uh, don't get mad, get even. Heard that? It's like a bumper sticker, right? I don't get mad, I get even. Great. You get even as much as you want, but God's love is dying in your life. You're not getting any of it. You're not. You're killing it because this is all hostile to God's love. And when something bad happens to someone else, laugh. That's hysterical, isn't it? When you can see somebody else have problems, just laugh and laugh. That's so much fun and make fun of them, and that's great. So, where in the world did that come from? I told you it was biblical. I'm going to show you the scripture that it comes from, except the scripture showed the other side of that. The scripture shows, here's what you do to get God's love, and all I do is reverse it for you. Because sometimes it's easier to see what we're doing if we look at it that way. So this is a very famous verse. I'm sure you've all heard it. If you've ever been to a wedding, they read this one, you know, all the time at weddings. I don't think I ever have, my weddings, but it's very typical, right? Love is patient, love is kind, is not jealous, love does not brag. It's not arrogant. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily provoked. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. This is the way to get love in your life. All those other things are exactly the opposite. So if you're not connecting, love isn't growing, you probably have this and it's poisoning the soil of of, of your heart against the love of God. And that's why you're not seeing it. You're going to have to get rid of those other things to let God's love grow. Just wanting to more is going to help. I don't know if you've ever grown anything. I don't. I watch Victoria. There's nobody who wants crops more than Victoria. I mean, that that woman has a strong desire to see a bountiful tomato harvest this year. She does. She prays for it. But you know what else she does? She works for it. We have to work on the soil. It's our job to work on the soil. Desire alone, wanting something more will not give it to you. That's a lie that's told. If you just want something, you'll get it. No, you won't. Certainly nothing heavenly. We have to go back and see what we're doing that's killing the fruit of love in our life. And we have to get it out of our life. We cannot have a hostile soil for love and wonder why it's not there. Every gardener knows that. You know, Victoria's out there to get pH balances of her soil. Why? Because certain crops grow better in certain soil. And she'll add stuff. We have a collection of eggshells right now in our family uh, on on thickness. She crunches up because it's calcium. I'm going to use this calcium for my soil, right? So, okay, we'll wash the eggshells and put them here for you to crunch up and put out in the soil because she knows for this crop, I need that. This crop's good with it's really wet. This crop isn't good. You have to know your soil. And if you're trying to grow God's love, you have to make sure the stuff that's killing God's love isn't in your soil. I said this last, last week. It bears repeating. A fruit tree that bears no fruit is useless. And this is the thing I think we need to understand. This is like, oh, this is really cool stuff, Pastor Grace. Maybe someday I'll work on that. If you're saved, if you're calling yourself a Christian, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you should be working on this right now. Not later, not someday, because later may be too late. Jesus tells this really scary parable. He says, well, I'll tell you this parable. A man had a fig tree. We're back to fig trees. Talked about them all last week. Uh, He planted it in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. We know what happens to those fig trees, right? Um, So he said to the gardener, look at this. For three years, uh uh-oh, three years, that's a long time, right? I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and I still find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting soil? I could put something else there that will produce fruit. And the, the gardener says, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put fertilizer on it. I'm going to spend special time on this to try to get the soil right. If it bears fruit next, year, good. If not, you can cut it down. God will not wait forever. He comes, there comes a point in, you know, he's, he's trying to get to your heart. He's trying to reach out. He's trying to reach you right now. He's trying to tell you he needs love in your life. He needs to see that fruit in your life. He's trying to reach you and tell you that. But if we keep saying, ah, next year, ah, next year, there's going to come the time that says, you know what? i got better things to do with the soil than this. That's what Jesus says. I'll move on, and he'll stop trying. That's the scariest thing. Discipline from God is painful, and I hate it. But I don't ever want to see what life looks like when God gives up on me. I don't ever want to see that. Because that's forever, Right? So anyway, there's a a phrase, a little thing in in Ezekiel, I'll end with this. Uh, So he was talking to Ezekiel, God's telling Ezekiel, who's his prophet, who's been trying to reach the people. He says, look, those who talk to you by the walls and the doorways of their houses, and they speak to one another, and they say, come now, hear the message which comes from the Lord. Don't we want that? Don't we want a message from the Lord? Let's go. Boy, I hope... Hope that pastor's on today. I hope I get a message from the Lord. That's what I want. I want a message from the Lord. And so they come to you and they sit before you as my people and they hear your words, but they don't heed them. They just go do their lustful desires expressed by their mouth and their heart goes after their own gain. Behold, you are to them like a pretty song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on the instrument. It's a show to them. There are people all over right now going to church for show. I hope it's uplifting. I hope it's not another downer. I hope I leave there feeling better than I came in. All I want is a pretty song that's sung well with instruments. They hear your words, but they don't practice them. So when what you prophesy comes to pass, and it will, then they will know my word has been in their midst. So they won't know until it's too late. The prophecy will happen. And everything I have said will happen, happens. And then they'll know there was a prophet here. It wasn't just a singer singing a pretty song. It was a prophet speaking the word of God and they ignored him. It'll be too late. There'll be that tree that gets dug up and burnt. What fruit are you going to produce in your life? Would you all please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we need to be your servants and we need...